Good morning. Oh, that was pathetic. Good morning. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I feel better. <laughs> Welcome. And it's great to have you here. And it's my privilege to share the word this morning. And I want to start with just looking at, just quickly at three different scriptures that I've just pulled out, so they're not in context, but there's lots of similar scriptures, uh, just to give a broad brush approach to start off with. The first scripture, Acts 10, 38. Am I echoing? Okay. I would say I'd try to talk quieter, but I know it won't, so can you do anything? <laughs> um, <clears throat> Acts 10, 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. Galatians 6, 9 and 10. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to all people. And the third one, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. For it is by grace through you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us. And just as we background here, I just what these scriptures point out so much that Jesus, when he was here on earth, he went about doing good. He had the good news and he also did good. And that we are designed and purposed for the same thing. But it's not by these good things that we do that we're going to get to heaven. It is all about our relationship with God, but because of our relationship with God and out of his love for us, because he first loved us, we love him, and out of that love for him, we find an expansion of love for others that we want to do good things. Right? And, sometimes, and we've got to learn from other people's mistakes. I love learning from other people's mistakes. Just might save me one or two. Uh, and, but you, know, you look at the Pharisees, and why did Jesus go get so annoyed with them? Righteous indignation. It's because they got so involved in being good and applying all the laws to their life that they just got self-righteous and pompous, and they weren't doing good. So it's both and, if you understand where I'm coming from. So now a question. How's your week been? Hands up if you've had a great week. Yay, a few hands. Hands up if you had a, you know, okay week. The majority. And hands up if you have had a week. A few of those as well. We have all of them. But looking at your week and the different days of it, how many of you would say that the majority of their days have been ordinary kinds of days? As opposed to extraordinary kind of days. 
Let me read you a quote from a book I read this decades ago, just after Samson had his <coughs> haircut. Um, but it stuck with me. As the longer I live, the more I recognize and realize the truth of it. And it was spoken by a Christian mum to her daughter when she complained that she didn't want to go to school. Here it is. Don't your kids know that life is made up of ordinary days? When there's no one to praise you, when there's no one to honor you, when there's no one to see how brave and noble you are, almost all of life is made up of ordinary days, and it's how you live your ordinary days that determine whether or not you have your big moments. Get out there and make something of your ordinary days. And so I've entitled what I want to share today, The Power of Ordinary Days. Now, I am a great believer in having dreams of setting goals or, or going for the big dream, etc., etc. We hear a lot about it, especially in young people's meetings. I don't hear that so often anymore. But anyway, but in it, we've got to have the balance of that much, or in fact, I'll go as far as to say most of our days are ordinary days. And it's definitely how we live them that determines what, whether or not we have our big moments. I want to illustrate with a couple of examples from my own life, one from a long time ago and the other from uh, last year. Now, I'm not wanting to be self-promoting, but it's just that I know my life better than any of the rest of yours. So here we go. First one was when I was started teaching at Limwood High School, as it was then, in 1970. Really was, after Samson's haircut. And I only just turned 19. Do your maths. Within a couple of years, I was acting head of department and dean of year nine girls. You could say I had the road running. Therefore, I was entitled to be at HOD meetings. And you've got to realize this is in the early 70s. And so all of the rest of the head of departments were male and over 40, and I was young, and half the woman I am now, and in my early 20s. And we were sitting there, we were just having afternoon tea at the start of the meeting, and there came a discussion about Christianity. And one person was speaking about the, Luke, the absolute ridiculousness of the claim of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And there was discussion of this going around. And then the principal agreed with him. Now, the principal was a churchgoer. And so at that point, I could keep silent no longer. I have these moments. Only a few. And I said, well, I totally believe in the virgin birth. And he turned to me in front of all of these other big bigwigs. And he said this. He said, oh, Jill, you are so naive. I felt embarrassed. It wasn't one of those moments where you felt like it was one friends and influence people. It was one of those moments, maybe I should have kept my mouth shut. I've had a few of those too. But in that embarrassment, I thought strongly to myself, I would much rather be embarrassed than to let down God. So life went on with ordinary days and... Uh, I continued to, 
I would have kissed him properly, but I don't want to muck up my lipstick. <laughs> Thank you. Is that better? Was that why? Oh, should have done it sooner, darling. Anyway, where was I? Um, so I carried on. Now, I was uh, busy at the school, obviously, and I did run the Christian group. I can't remember what they were called in those days, but I ran the Christian group, and we did some fun things. And, um, and a couple of years later on again, we were leaving teaching to go to Wellington to live and work with gang kids who were trying to come out of gangs. And that same principal asked me if I would speak at the junior high school senior, um, prize giving. And... Uh, <coughs> So it was quite a privilege, really. And when we were at it, he introduced me, and introduced me absolutely glowingly. And I can't remember all the other things he said. And I won't tell you, because that would be self-promoting. <laughs> <clears throat> but one thing I do remember was he said, she is a woman who is true to her beliefs. And I remember that really sticking with me, because this is the same principle that had told me when I'd expressed it, how naive I was. And anyway, it, it, went, it went really well, and there was a good response. And afterwards, he got up and he said, see what I mean. And he was obviously really proud of me. And for me, in my early 20s, that was a big moment at the senior prize giving to be the guest speaker. But it only came because of four years of living faithfully, ordinary days. And another thing I want to draw from that example, you know, that wasn't my biggest moment of influence. Not at all. It was the ordinary days with staff and students. And in fact, some years later, quite a few years later, I was at a minister's wives' conference. This is back in the day when you, you weren't... That's what you were called. I don't care what people call me. Just let me do what I'm meant to do. That's all right. And uh, I was at that, and this young lady came up to me, and she said, oh, Miss Langston. And I've been Mrs. Bennison, had I don't know how many kids, but that's how she remembered. She said, I'm so excited to see you. And I could vaguely recollect her. I hadn't actually taught her, but she'd been in the Christian group. And she said, oh, I've been wanting to tell you this for years. She said, when we were at school, you taught us one day a method for approaching people about Christianity. Now, I shudder when I remember what I taught them, but it was a method that we used to do in those days that when you approach people that you didn't know and you'd say, are you interested in spiritual things? And you'd nod for them. <laughs> oh, you know. But anyway, what it did do is it did give a very clear steps <laughs> the gospel. And she said, now she was a churchgoer, but she said she had never ever been presented with a, the requirement, the necessity, and the reality of life that comes with actually, personally, accepting Jesus Christ as Lord. She'd never been presented with that. She said, I went home that night and knelt by my bed and prayed the prayer that you told us. And she said, and I changed in an instant. And I never had the courage to tell you at the time. Oh, it was so... That's so encouraging. That was a much bigger moment than speaking to a few hundreds of people or whatever there was there. The second story started a long time ago. It was actually just after um, Noah got drunk. 
Um, <clears throat> but I only caught up with the full outcome of it last year. When I went to Teachers College, <clears throat> there was the group that I was in, there was only one available in Christchurch and one in Auckland. So you had people in your group that were from all over the country. And uh, there was this, it was right from the start, there was this, she was lovely, but she was a country girl. She was straight off the farm. And everything about her told you that. And I, I, to be honest, I felt a little bit sorry for her. And so I kind of took her under my wing, and we were doing the same course at uni and, and everything else, and we walked together. And um, just I taught her things about the city and just befriended her, really. And so then she started coming home for meals sometimes. And one night uh, she actually stayed over on a Saturday night. We'd been out to something. And so anyone who stayed over with me, all girls, um, on a Saturday night <laughs> would come to church with me on Sunday. And so uh, we went to church and she really enjoyed it and wanted to come again. And so we made a pattern of picking her up and taking her to church on a Sunday and then home for lunch, etc. And and long story short, she accepted Jesus Christ as Lord because although she went to the little local church quite regularly down where she lived, um, again, she had never actually been confronted with the need to accept Jesus Christ as Lord of your life and to know that you could have this personal relationship with him. And so she did that. By this time, she was already engaged to her, her childhood sweetheart and um, Anyway, we've, uh, I was her bridesmaid, and then they moved. She got a job. They both moved up to Auckland, and I was never very good at letter writing. I should slightly change that. I was and am not good at letter writing. She was really, really faithful. Every year, she'd send me and my parents a Christmas card, until I forgot to tell her we shifted, um, Things like that. But she, so I picked up little bits of news from her. And then last year, I finally decided to stop fighting it, and I joined Facebook. I kind of had this and have this love-hate relationship with it. I mean, you know, it's kind of good and it's kind of bad. And the good things about it is that you actually can make contact with people you haven't had contact with for a long time. And she saw that I was on, and so we made contact. And in the meantime, they'd moved down to Omaru, and last year we did a wee holiday down there, and I was able to catch up with her for a coffee. And it was a really wonderful experience. Now, we are talking, what, 45 years later. I know you can't believe it. I was only a baby. <laughs> anyway, she was talking to me, and she said this. It was, I, I was really moved. She said, Jill, I just want to express how thankful I am to you and your family, to you for showing me what a Christian was and how to live it, and for your family to show me how a Christian family actually functioned. And she said because of that, what had happened is her husband came to the Lord just quite early on in their marriage. He became an elder of the church. She became a principal, deputy principal of a Christian school up there. They now have two adult children who have families. They are all going on for the Lord. And her son is in full-time ministry. And um, do you know, praise God, it's all him. All I did was be kind. That's all I did was be kind. 
things that make big differences don't have to be big things that you do. So, think about your last week. Is there anything that made you feel good or happy or made you smile or made you feel special or positively influence you? Was it some major moment, and for some maybe it was, or was it something quite ordinary? An act of kindness, of love being shown, you felt valued, respected, listened to? Really and truly, my lovelies, making a big difference doesn't have to be a big thing. Let me read from Romans 12, and it'll be up on the board. Now, Romans 12 is an amazing chapter. It starts off with how we present ourselves, uh, our living sacrifice as a reasonable act of worship. And then it goes on to talk about um, that we are not conformed to the world, but transformed, and we're part, all part of the body and all that. But I'm not actually dealing with any of that, so I'm picking up at verse 9. <clears throat> Here we go. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You want a mantra for living? Check that out regularly, along with 1 Corinthians 13. You won't go wrong. See, it's about living the life, realizing the power of ordinary days about having a positive influence mindset. Now, you're sitting there thinking, man, Jill, this is Christianity 101. Absolutely. Because if we don't get these sorts of things right, what's the use of all our knowledge? I mean, I don't care who's got a tassel on the end of their robe and what it means, you know? If that person is not living a life that shows forth Christ. See, the reality is, if your life in any way connects with other people, you are an influencer, one way or the other. Everything you do at home, church, place of study, in your job, on the sports field, has an impact on the lives of other people. We make an impact. We can make the few moments that we interact with the shopkeeper or the doctor's receptionist or the dentist's receptionist, even worse, a miserable experience 
or we can get there, get them to make a smile and make their day a little happier. The choice is ours. And I believe that every day we are meant to make a positive difference in our world. A Jesus follower who knows the power of an ordinary day will want daily to contribute to building God's kingdom. So what happens when you spend time building relationships with your family? You open your heart for the ministry of the whole you open hearts for the ministry of the Holy Spirit and eliminate demonic opportunities. What happens when you honour your boss at work? You open hearts for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. When you tell the truth instead of a lie. When you choose to stay faithful to our spouses. When you encourage instead of judge. When you smile instead of frown. When you're not ashamed of your beliefs. We can add simply by listening to people and just giving them that extra 30 seconds. Not like the older lady went to the doctor and she was having a checkup and he said, look, you're hearing loss. I think it's actually due to the da-da-da-da. There is a little operation we can do for that and you'd hear much better. And she turned to him and she said, I'm 89, I've heard enough. <laughs> What happens when we're ready to share words of life? You open the hearts for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. When you show faith in people, can I say in this one, our aim should be to get people to feel better about themselves. Sometimes our aim is to get people to think better of us. 1 Corinthians put... Uh, 10.24 puts it like this. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Show faith in people. What happens when we don't take people for granted, when we show them respect and that they're valued? We open hearts for the ministry of the Holy Spirit and eliminate demonic opportunities. Here's the thing. Here's the absolutely amazing thing. God breathes on ordinary and makes it extraordinary. God, the Holy Spirit, breathes on the natural and makes it supernatural. That's God's work. But ours is the first bit. Listen, you wonderful people. I know we're all called to walk different paths. And we do have different seasons in our lives. But the power of the ordinary doesn't matter if you're a butcher, baker, or candlestick maker. Doesn't matter if your dreams are still a long way off, or if they've been and gone, or if they haven't worked out as you thought. Our greatest goal every day to become more like Jesus, to show forth his character, to daily be a positive influence on our world, to add to people's lives, to contribute to building God's kingdom. Some of you may be thinking, oh, Jill, it's okay for you. You're such an extrovert. I have no idea where you get that idea from. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're an extrovert or an introvert. Everyone can be kind. 
It doesn't matter about age. Some of you are saying, I'm too young. No, no, youth's wonderful. You mightn't be that wise at times. I look back and shudder on some of mine. But you have the energy and the enthusiasm, and you can do good. And some of you are thinking, oh, but I'm old. I can't do as much as I used to. You're right. You can't. It's such a bum- bummer, I was going to say. It did come out, didn't it? <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's a slight nuisance. <laughs> but that's where it's not about how much you do. Yeah. It's about that you do. Yeah. It's not, and, it, and who you are and what you've got to give in a tiny little way. In fact, I had a conversation just recently with one of our lovely ladies who I will try to keep, I'm, not, I'm endeavouring not to say her name, but I, when I asked permission, I said, you will recognise this as yourself. And I said, I won't name you. Well, I'll try not to, but I used to do that with, when I used the example of my boys. I'd start up and saying, this particular son, and had four, and I thought it was leaving, and then halfway through the story, the name would pop out. So I will endeavour not to. But this person was saying that she can't do, she feels like she's not contributing because she can't do as much as she used to or as much as she wants to. And then as we conversed further on, I found the number of different people that she faithfully prays for. And then I found that on a fortnightly basis, she writes a letter to a young man in prison because she cares for his mother and just informs of her things going on. Isn't that amazing? And I know that she just, she talks to all sorts of people and she's kind and loving. And in just recent weeks, there was another lady who came along to church because of her. That's not not contributing. They're showing forth the love and kindness of Jesus Christ. And that's what it's about. Here's a quote from Helen Keller. How many of you have heard of Helen Keller? Noticeably few on that side. I thought that might be the case. Well, she was an American, and she was born in 1880, so it's a good friend of mine. (laughs) She was born healthy, and then at about 19 months, she got a serious illness, which left her blind and deaf. And the story is really interesting, and the person who helped her through it is a really interesting story. If you haven't read it, Google it, read it. It's amazing. She overcome these limitations, and she became a great humanitarian, set up all sorts of um, help in these areas. She was an author, a political activist, a lecturer. She was the first blind, deaf person to get a BA degree. And this is one of her quotes. I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. Some of you may be thinking, but Jill, you don't know what's gone on in my life, what I've done or what I have had done to me. You're right. I don't, but I do know the power of the cross. I know the transforming power 
of Jesus Christ's death for us, his resurrection, bringing forgiveness and life and transformation. You know, you can look at one spot of your life and think that's your story. No, it's just a chapter or it's just a scene. I think of Joseph in the pit where his brothers put him. Was that his story? No, it's just a scene. I think of him in prison, wrongly in prison, because Potiphar's wife accused him of what he didn't do. Was that a story? Part of it. But no, it's just a scene. I think of the Apostle Paul, amazing man, when he was still named Saul, standing there watching Stephen being stoned with his full approval. Was that his story? No, thank God. Just a scene. Don't get hooked up onto something that has happened or you have done wrong and let it be your story. Throw that off. No, that transforming power of Jesus Christ. It's the enemy that reminds you, not Jesus. When you ask forgiveness, you've got it. Boom, as they say these days. And it's gone as far as the east from the west. It's not dragged up again. We drag it up or our enemy does because he likes us to keep us underachieving and doing good. Some of you may have seen this example before, but it's a good one, so I'm going to use it again. What's this? What's it worth? $20. Look, it's a lovely brand new one of our $20. Okay, tell me this. What's this? What's it worth? What's this? What's it worth? What's this? What's it worth? God made you. He knew you. Psalm 139, he formed you. He saw you in your mother's room. And you were fearfully and wonderfully made. You have value. You had value there. You have value because he made you with value. He values you. You're made in his image. You have value because he says he loves you. He sent his son to die for you. He loves you. And no matter what else happens, that value that was there right from the start, is still there. Man cannot thwart the purposes of God. His purposes last all time. You are of value and worth. Don't let the enemy tell you that you can't. Go around showing forth the love and goodness of God. No matter what's happened, we're of value. Look at this red quote, just finishing. What lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. 1 John 4.4 Greater is he that is in you than he, the one who is in the world. See, we have the peace of God, the word of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the promises of God the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We are incredible because we have an incredible God who loves us intimately. We are so blessed and we are blessed to be a blessing. Let's do that.
by remembering the power of an ordinary day for an ordinary person. Let's pray. Mighty God. (laughs) Mighty God. Father, we do just thank you for the amazing truth that you actually choose to work through us that you want to work through us and that you empower us and that you plan these things for us, for us to have influence on those around us, positive influence. And God, I pray that as we've just taken a little look at a a very basic thing, but it's about doing life and showing forth the love and goodness of Jesus Christ. It's about being kind God, I pray that you'd help us to keep that balance of not getting wound up and trying to be good, but using our energies and doing good. That others would be blessed and influenced for your kingdom. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Trip. Um, and with some singing, but I just want to read some verses from Psalm, 100, uh, Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. And I was reading that just uh, yesterday, and I felt like I was to ask you a question about it. With that verse 4 there, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Is that your testimony or is that your need? We're going to go into a time of worship, as I've already said. And I I want to open up the front because I felt like what God said, that there's some of you and you've got really busy minds. And I don't mean positively active, but... They're, they're busy and they're, it's working against you. There's fear and there's worry. And I felt particularly that there was someone here who was really contending with, I, I could just see you like an agony, uh, contending with God, wanting to know what was the right thing to do. And I felt the word for you was rest in him. Let it go before him. Take it to him and then believe that he'll talk to you. He doesn't have a problem with talking. We sometimes just have a problem with hearing. And I come across this verse, and if if that relates to you, this is for you. It's Psalm 16, verses 7 and 8. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord, with him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Now, if that relates to you, and you, you, I, I felt like it's not a negative thing you're asking of him. It's something you want to know, and you're not quite sure and which way to go and what's the right thing, and, and you're really stewing over it, and therefore the mind getting into this worry situation. If either the worry or the fear or anything else, I, I, I love the other verse that's further down on that one, and it talks about the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Maybe today you just 
while we're worshiping. You know, he's in the midst of our worship. Why don't you come out and let one of us join with you and stand alongside you and just lift your arms a bit and pray with you. So if any of those things apply, please, as we stand and begin our worship, come out and let us pray with you.